continuing to uh, our Savior series. Um, I'm doing Kingdom Part 2. Uh, I know Prince Blom was here last week to help us with Chapter 13 of Luke, and he was doing uh, Kingdom uh, Part 1. So today I'm doing Kingdom Part 2. Um, I've decided to talk on this topic of uh, Kingdom Invitation. Uh, let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have prepared our hearts that we can come. We come with great expectation that for you, that you will speak to us today in the mighty name of Jesus. Do your work um, in our hearts, uh, we pray. Amen. Amen. So the passage that we're looking at today is Luke chapter 14. We're reading from verse 1 to 24. Uh, but just to save time, I won't just go through and read the whole chapter, but I will just talk through it. So as uh, I talk through it, then the passage of scriptures will, will come up on the screen. So first of all, from the, the first verse, we see that um, it was on the Sabbath day, and Jesus was invited uh, to come and eat in the house of the ruler of Pharisees. So Jesus was not that kind of a, a, a pastor who was just staying away from people. He was part of people. He was not even discriminating people because of their religion and everything, but he was part of, of their life. So he received this invitation, then he decided to go and eat. And um, so, as usual, um, whenever Jesus, he was um, among people, he was carefully washed by people around him. His enemies, um, especially from Pharisees, were hoping that Maybe they will find something wrong that Jesus will do so that they can just condemn him to death because that's exactly, they, they hated him. As even if they invited him for, for, for supper to come and eat, but the reason why was just that they want to bring their enemy even closer so that they can be able to identify some of the things that he, he does wrong. And we are not surprised by their action because we know that there are so many people who are like that in our lives. Um, these are the people abang nawe. These are the people that abatalebe uh, Once we and then maybe we are then they will can be able to find something But yeah, now we, we we got him, and then they start to criticize you and gossip you and talk about things that that are not right um, about your name. And that's no matter when on the, you have those kind of people around your life. You know, people that always have a, a red pen. Um, just waiting that, okay, oops, then he has done this mistake. Then they can be able to use that dot uh, among, um, in, in that white sheet. They just use that black dot to be able to go and talk about it. So, even Jesus had this kind of people. Um, that were called uh, the Faris. They were just waiting. The Bible says this. They were watching him carefully. They were watching him what he's doing. They were watching what he says. They were watch, uh, watching him how he responds to, to every uh, action and question that, uh, that they were giving to him. So to heal a person on the Sabbath day, it was considered as... Um, uh, by the Jews as a violation of Jewish law. It was a serious crime, a serious crime that deserved punishment, according to Exodus chapter 31, verse 14 to 17. So, so the Jews, they were just waiting to see 
how Jesus is going to react to this. Then what they've done, the Bible says in verse 2, while they were eating in that house of a prominent Pharisee on the Sabbath, a man with dropsy was brought to Jesus. So if you don't know what is, is dropsy, um, it's a buildup of inf uh, fluid in, the, in somebody's body. It can be on your leg or whenever that causes uh, uh, infection in the tissues of, of your body, and then it becomes swollen. So some people, sometimes they have this kind of, they call it elephant uh, leg or something, but in our days, um, it is called uh, oedema. Um, so I don't know if I spelled that right, but it's O-E-D-E-M-A. So this was a very, very terrible sickness that was in their body, but the, the only thing that they, they brought to Jesus for, for him to heal this guy, but it was not only that, but also they wanted to see on the Sabbath day if Jesus can heal him. So and then Jesus decided to respond to these guys by just asking them a question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day or not? So the Pharisees were very surprised because they brought this guy who was sick and they thought Jesus will just do something and you know, maybe heal this guy and then after that they will be able to find something that they can crucify him for. But Jesus took that question and sent it back to them. And they were not expecting it. They didn't see that coming. And then they started to think in their, in their hearts that, okay, if we say, yes, it is lawful, then we'll have no charge to make against Jesus. But also, if we say no, then these people will be angry against us that we are the one who are lacking compassion to heal this person who is suffering with this sickness. So the Bible says, so they decided to remain silent. They didn't want to give any answer because yes was going to make but if they say no, now they're going to be kind of like responsible for this guy for not receiving his healing. Then Jesus took this guy and he healed him and he sent him away. And while they were still thinking in, on how they can come up with a, a new plan of accusing Jesus of what has just happened, Jesus decided to come up with a follow-up question from that. And, um, and he said, which of you having a son on an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? Because the Jews, they consider that it is lawful to save an animal out of a world on the Sabbath day than to deliver a man from his misery on the Sabbath day. I know that we've got the animal lovers in the room. Hello, animal lovers. But it is important to understand that Jesus is trying to say to them, if you can save an animal on the Sabbath day, how much more of value is a man that, than a sheep than to save an animal? And he said, then I have a right to heal this guy even if he's on the Sabbath day. So for that reason, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. 
I can imagine there was a, a critical moment of awkwardness because the kingdom, of, the kingdom message was clashing with the way people normally think or act. So in verse 6, the Bible says, and again, they could not reply to this thing. Isn't it amazing that every time when you come with a plan, you say, okay, I've got, I've drawn all my VRIs, and I know this trap is going to be able to catch this guy, and then Jesus keeps getting away with these questions that he's giving to them. And even all their cleverness and everything couldn't help them because the questions that were coming to them, they were not able to bring the answers that Jesus was looking for. So Jesus decided to talk to this guy in parables in order to reveal to them the stumbling blocks that were in their hearts that was hindering them from responding to the kingdom of God. And yet these guys were invited Jesus in, in the house but they didn't know that the kingdom of God has come among them. And they, they couldn't say it because there are so many things that blinded them to be able to see that this kingdom of God is among them. And this kingdom of God has come to invite them, the kingdom of Jesus. So from this parable, we see that Jesus is trying to explain these three stumbling blocks uh, which are uh, pride, self-centeredness, and excuse. I just want to um, just go through those three things, pride, self-centeredness, and excuses uh, that, that are found from these parables, and then after that, we will close our meeting. So, especially if you read from verse 7, uh, the Bible tells us that while Jesus was at, at, at the Pharisee's house, other guests started to arrive. And now he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, and he says to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin um, with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host come, comes and he may say to you, friend, move up, uh, move up higher, then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus, seeing their pride and desire to be exalted before men, Jesus decided to tell them this parable. Like any other weddings that you, in, you attend, at a wedding feast, um, they always prepare the, the special seats for the special guests, uh, the distinguished um, guests that are invited there. And sometimes, especially, they always reserve up front the, the families of the bride and the families of the groom 
and then the rest of us will sin. Sometimes they do the, they cover the seeds and then they keep the seeds that are not covered towards the back. And then when you come to that room, you know if you are not related to the bride, you know when you're not related to, to, the, to the groom. So what you need to do is to find a place that is suitable for you. But sometimes others, uh, 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 other people, they take chances. They just say, uh, I want to sit there. And then they, the Bible says, yeah, then the host of the wedding will come and say, please excuse me, my sister or my brother. <laughs> this place is reserved uh, for the relatives. Please, can you go and sit at the back? You know, I think humility helps us to avoid unnecessary embarrassment. I'm sure none of us would like to be treated like that. Uh, I, we wouldn't like to be humiliated in that way. That is why it is better to take the lower seat first, as Proverbs 25, verse 6 and 7 says. But having said that, I want to put this point out that but Jesus does not mean that we should show false humility. I'm sure all of us, we know in the late drama, prosperity gospels, um, churches that are preaching the prosperity gospel, they pretend to be humble. But in fact, they really seek to be, uh, to be honored by uh, being ushered up with a lot of attention from the people. Um, so I know that sometimes they... They stand outside there or maybe sit in their car and then waiting for the MC to say, okay, ladies and gentlemen, let us welcome the men of God, the men of the hour, the men of the moment. Let's all stand up. Let's all, as uh, then the ushers will go around with them to go and sit them somewhere. Jesus is not talking about that. That is not, um, hum this is not being humble. This is, that is pride that is happening like that. They pretend to be humble, but actually they seek to be honored by being ushered um, to the higher places with a lot of attention. So such people, they put kind of the outside appearance of humility, but inwardly, they are full of pride. So what we see here in this chapter is that this parable also has a spiritual meaning in it. God has prepared us a wedding feast. So Jesus has prepared for us this banquet, this big feast that all of us can be able to come in and have a place. God has given each and every one of us an assigned seat. So when you come before him, when we come to him, we come to the potter's house. Jesus knows our hearts and he knows which seats that are worthy for us to sit in. So let us humble ourselves before him because God will humble those who exalt themselves. As verse 11 says, the teaching of Jesus is the opposite of the teaching of the world. Men of the world, they seek to exalt themselves, but Jesus says that in the end, 
they will be humbled and they will be put down before the throne of God. But those who repent from their sin and humble themselves on the earth, the Bible says they will be exalted by God himself. This is an amazing thing that you do this voluntarily by humbling yourself before him and God will exalt you. But if you exalt yourself, and God will humble you. So sometimes we have a choice that we need to choose that while we still have time, let us allow God to be the one who exalted, who is lifted up. As we were worshiping, we were talking about that. God be lifted up, be exalted above everything so that Tina It is our prayer that all of us as Reconciliation Road Church members can be uh, can clothe ourselves with humility. Because humility doesn't just mean that the, the outside um, appearance or outwardly humble, but it is something of the heart. God wants us to humble ourselves. I remember uh, when we grew up in uh, churches, you see like when you come through the door, you'll have to go down like this and then uh, and then then out there you go and live as you please. But in the Bible, God, what He wants from us is that we need to be humble from the heart. That our hearts need to be submitted to God. We need to clothe ourselves with humility in everything that we do. True humility arises in our inner mind. You know, you know the, the, the humble person knows that he is unworthy before God's sight. And he knows that all of us and all the righteous acts that, that we can come and present before God, they are all like filthy rags before God, as Isaiah 64 verse 6 says. Because sometimes when we come and bring that outside uh, appearance and think that when we come, People, they will think that we're humble, but God searches our heart. He knows our heart. So, the humble person knows that, that our salvation and all that we do is only through, by grace of God alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And there is nothing else that we can be able to do and try to, to perform before God. That's why in First Peter chapter 5, verse 5, says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Why? Why Peter says so? It is because he knows that pride is the experience, or pride is the experience of most Christians. It's our experience. And humility is the hardest virtue to maintain. You know, pride is our deepest sin. It is the hardest thing that we need to remove. You know, when sometimes you would say, hey, what's one more that I know? You know, I tell you, what's I like your car at Because pride is something that comes automatically. And we always want to show the world that we are better than others every day. Because pride was Satan's chief sin. He sought to make himself equal with God, as is our 14, verse 12. Uh, 214 says. It is something that the enemy always wants to bring into our hearts so that we
cannot exalt God, we can end up exalting ourselves. That is why Peter says, humble yourself. It's an act that needs to come and say, I give this as a sacrifice to God. That is why even the Bible says in Romans 12, in the view of God's mercy, and they said, give your bodies as a living sacrifice. We must humble ourselves. We must put ourselves down. I know that none of us likes to do that. I, we, we, it's something that feels like, no, I'm going about to make a bunch. People are going to wipe their feet on me if I humble myself and put myself down. But it is better for us to put ourselves down than to have someone else do it for us. He says, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, then he may lift you up in due time. So that's a first hindrance that is stopping us from receiving what God wants from us. I always like think like even when, when sometimes when we say let's go, let's all pray, and you always have this thought of like I need to kneel down before God, and we think, oh, but what about my my pens? What about this? You know, what about what are other people gonna say? And then from that little thought, you you exalting yourself. But when you even David, the Bible says when you worship God, even lost himself, his identity in such a way that. He went naked before God and before people. He didn't care about what our people will say. If we still like say, I want to do this for God, but what my friends will say. I want to give my life to Jesus, but what my friends will say. What my parents will say. You know, but the Bible says when we humble ourselves before him, God will lift us up. So the second point, second hindrance from the, uh, the, uh, this kingdom invitation is self-centeredness. You know, the explanation of self-centeredness is that it means to be concerned only about your own desires, only concerned about your own needs, on your own interest. You know, that is why we in our churches, we, we, we are so short of people who are serving, we are so short of people who are giving generously in church because our heart is full of this self-centeredness. If God wants us to he wants, to, he wants to use us for his kingdom. And the only thing that God had used to say, if Jesus is Lord over your life, there's only answer you can give him is yes, Lord. You will never say no to your Lord. But the answer will be yes. But because we are Christians who are saved but still live for ourselves. That's why the Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, he died for all so that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but to live for him who died on the cross again. That's the only reason why Jesus died on the cross, so that you will no longer live for yourself. But sometimes we are the followers of Jesus who are full of self-centeredness, and that becomes like a hindrance to the kingdom of God. So Jesus was sitting in that house of the, this prominent uh, Pharisee. He saw that the host had invited only his friends and relatives. You know, although it was costly to feed all these rich friends and relatives that were surrounded him, but the host would won't mind to suffer the loss because all those guests will later invite him to their home as well. 
and he will be repaid for all what he has spent to them. So that is why exactly what, what we do as people. We always think, okay, this is a rich friend. Let me go and invite this person because I know he will invite me back. So if I give this person money, I know that one day when I'm, I'm in need, that person will give me money as well. It's just like an investment. It's like throwing the tennis on the ball so that it will come back to you. Jesus said to the Pharisees, do not invite your friends, your brothers, and your, or your relatives or your rich neighbors. His purpose in inviting people was to gain some favor, was to gain advantage. That is why Jesus said to him, if you want to receive a blessing of God, invite those who cannot pay you back. If you do that, God himself will pay you at the resurrection of the righteous that is in heaven. It is much better to reward, to get a reward from God than to get a reward from people. The reward of this world will come to an end, but the reward that comes from God, it is everlasting and it is forever. So it is necessary for us to mention those two things that, um, so that I can bring the point of clarity because I don't want you to go home and go and being confused and think, okay, then what must I do with my rich friends? Um, must I not invite them? Firstly, I want to say that um, it is not wrong to invite your, your rich friends and your neighbors to your house or a party because also your rich friends, they also need salvation. They also need to be loved like anybody else. But we must invite them because of our love for them. Not because of what we can gain from them. Because God doesn't change, he, he doesn't just check what we do on the outside, but he checks our motives. Like, why are we doing? I like Tim Keller every time when he, when he was talking about idols, he used to say, every time you need to ask yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? And then you find the answer, and then you keep asking yourself, then why this answer? And then you'll find the answer, and they said, you keep asking why, and then underneath of your heart, you'll find your idol hiding right there. That actually, this is a self-centeredness. This is a self-savious. I'm, I'm inviting these people. I'm doing these people a favor because I know I'm investing for myself. You know, every time we do it, I, even I used to see like in our um, uh, uh, previous churches, people will come up with 200 rand. They will lift it up like this when they come and give offering. Tim Keller said, as we're lifting it up, stop there. Ask yourself, why am I lifting this money up? Okay, so that people will see that I'm giving 200 rand. Why you want people to see that you're giving 200 rand? Because I want people to see that I give more than others. And then you see now, you're no more serving God. You're no more giving to God. You're giving to your pride. You're giving to your self-centeredness. So whatever we do, we must do but have a right motive in our heart. Second point is that we must not invite poor people only because we hope to get a reward in heaven. That is also selfish. We must invite them because we love them as Jesus loved them. I know sometimes people, they do ministries for the poor so that they can take photos and post it on Facebook and then so that people will say, wow, well done, they get a lot of likes. And then you become like, I'm serving the poor, but actually you're serving yourself so that people will like say, Ooh, 
you are amazing men or women of God, you know. But everything that we do, that's why the Bible says when you do something, your right hand must not know what the, your left hand is doing so that you will receive the reward in heaven. So then the third one, so the first one was the hindrance was our pride. The second one is our self-centeredness. Instead of serving God, keep serving ourselves. And then the last one is our excuses. Back then it was their custom that uh, when you send out the invitation, then you count those who accepted the invitations um, so that you can be able to prepare for the party based on the numbers that are coming. So I think that was only not back then, but it's also now still happening. So we send on the WhatsApp group, guys. We have a community group tonight. Can we get thumbs up? How many are coming? How many thumbs up? So that I can know how much pizzas must I bring, you know, or must I prepare. So we need RSVPs. We need people to, re to reply that they will respond that, okay, I am coming to that party. So that was the style. And then after that, then they will send a second invitation to say, okay, now the party is ready. It is starting. The countdown. <laughs> you know, we invited for you to be able to come. Then you will reply and say, I'm coming. But it's always disappointing every time when you invite people. Then you get a lot of thumbs up. But on the final day, and then people they start giving excuses. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't come anymore. It is better if you say no from the beginning. Because now you prepared so many seats, you prepared so much food, and you have done, you printed so many pages for people to come. Then you end up with a pile of pages that you take back, and it's just like a waste of ink and papers. Because people, they accepted the first invitation, but now they decline on the second invitation. Now you're kind of like sending a reminder, guys, don't forget, as you promised that you're coming. Um, I'm sorry, Pastor. And sometimes even worse when they do that on the group. Because you only need one person to say, oh, sorry, I'm not coming anymore. Then other people will clamp on it and say the same thing. You know, will I say, okay, can you just send me privately that, okay, I can't make it anymore. Because you're bringing the wrong encouragement to the whole church. So these people they have been invited and all said, yes, we are coming. And then on a second invitation, the Bible says uh, the servant went out. And he sent um, uh, to, to those who have been invited from the beginning. Uh, do we have that verse? So then he, he sent another invitation that for those people who have been invited from the beginning. But when that happened, they all alike started sending excuses after excuses. And all those who were, who were said they were coming from the beginning... Now they started to game to give those silly and lame excuses and say, no, we can't come. Let's, let's look at those three excuses that they gave. First, the first excuse. This guy said, um, the first man said, I have bought a field. Then I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. You know, if you can think about this, that you can't be stupid enough that you can make a deal and buy the field and pay for it before even you go and, 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 and check it out or inspect it. I think you need to know about all the details of that property and the boundaries and the owners and everything before you transfer the money. But this guy, he said, 
I've already bought the field, but now I'm not, I need to go and, expect, uh, and, and inspect it. I need to go and check it out. So please excuse me, I can't come. And then the second excuse, another man said, I have bought a five yoke of oxen. So I go to examine them. Please have me excused. So there's another thing. This guy, he brought this, oh, this yoke for, 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 for his oxen. And he paid for it. Now we want to go and check it out if it's the right thing or not. It's like making a, a, a deal with someone who's selling a car. And then you pay, you pay him cash online. Then after that, you go and check if that car is even starting or not. If it's got his body uh, working or not. So the third excuse is that the man, he said, um, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. You know, this this. this he, he accepted the first invitation. For sure, he knew that he was going to get married. And now he's, he's married now. I married a wife. Now I cannot come. You know, I always see this show on TV when someone come, uh, the woman will come with a wedding gown. What is it called? And then they say, uh, please marry me now. It's like, it, this guy was, sounds like he was surprised by the wedding. And his marriage, I married the wife, then I cannot come to that invitation. All these three excuses are extraordinary nonsense, and they are also lie from the enemy. It is just an excuse to reject God's call into his kingdom. That is exactly the point that Jesus is making. When Jesus is calling you, and me to his kingdom, and then we all come with all these lame excuses, nonsense excuses to say, no, I cannot do this, I cannot do this because of this reason, so that we, we can be able to keep our, ourselves away from the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, to accept his invitation of salvation, and then insult God by prioritizing other things, other stuff, prioritizing other people above God, that's an insult and is ridiculous and insane. Because when, once we say, I will follow, I will follow Jesus wherever he goes, I will follow. Then after that, when Jesus said, can you follow me in doing this? No, sorry, he said, I cannot follow you in doing that. Please, because God wants us to have a commitment. It's like when someone, when you are in a relationship, you no, know, maybe you are married, or maybe you are part of a, or a church member, that's a commitment that I committed myself to this relationship and I will do what Jesus wants me to do. This guy's uh, preoccupation with stuff that really didn't matter that much kept them away from the party. And Jesus is telling us that this is what can happen. To us to today. So what do you think about these excuses? Do you think it's something that is happening with you? So maybe if as you're sitting, these are the, these guys' three excuses, but what is your excuse today? What is your excuse that is keeping you away from serving Jesus wholeheartedly with all your heart? What is keeping you away from giving Jesus everything that you have? including your money, your car, your, 
your family, your time, and everything that you have. That kind of excuse is not making God's heart happy. Remember, Jesus is telling this story in a dinner table full of religious people. It was like he's telling this story in, the ch- in, a, in, a, in a room that is full of church people, the church members, but who are still rejecting his invitation to take part in his kingdom. The way to respond to, the, to his kingdom is to surrender our lives to him and to his will. As Jesus taught us when, we, when he, ta- he was teaching us to pray, and he said, let your kingdom come, and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what is your excuse today for God's kingdom? But look what the party host does when uh, the invited guests don't show up. First of all, apart that, he just got, he got angry. But verse 21 verse, to verse 24, so the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the street and, 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 and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is a room. In verse 23, And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and, and hedges and, and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So the host does something different here. He invites those who will never make anybody's list for the party. He invites those who could never pay him back when they are invited to to his table. You know, even though his dinner guests or religious people have excluded themselves from the party that God is throwing because of their worldly priorities. But the party is still going on. And the most unexpected people are going to attend, are going to be part of this. But I want you to hear me today. Jesus is sitting right in front of you. He's sending out the Father's second invitation. He says, come. Come, for everything now is ready. Jesus prepared everything, and he said on the cross, it is finished. Here is what I think Jesus is saying to us this morning. First thing he says, don't be one of those who respond to their first invitation and then miss out the party itself. Because just to say, I am the child of God, I give my life to Jesus as a Lord and Savior, I like what Mare said, they said, it's like signing up and take, your t- and, and, and take the ticket and put it in your back pocket and go and live as you please. And then expect that when Jesus comes back, you will just pull out that ticket and say, Jesus, I'm saved. <laughs> no. Jesus wants us to be, to be justified and also he wants us to, to grow to be more and more like him. So following Jesus is more about not just one day event of giving your life to Jesus, but to serve him with all of your life 
to keep following every day. So what is in your life that is keeping you away from God's invitation? What excuses maybe that maybe you are giving God why you are not available for his kingdom? What a tragedy to be invited to the party that God is throwing out for all of us and to miss out for no reason and for silly excuses. Secondly, I think Jesus is telling us to be a reflection of his kingdom. When people come here for the first time, God wants us um, to make those people to feel welcomed. No matter who they are, no matter where they are coming from, he wants us to, those people to have a sense uh, that we are contagious community of grace. And then every grace that we have received, we want to give back to those people. There are people who need to feel that this is a safe place for messy people. A, a little bit like a kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Because it doesn't matter how, how your background looks like, but you are welcome in God's, God's kingdom. Just imagine these people who were just living on the streets. They were just out of the kingdom. They were not even invited to the party. But Jesus says, they also deserve to be part of the table with me. Let's invite people. Let's go out our way and make them feel welcome when they show up. This parable is about the radical and lavish hospitality of God as is inviting us. I pray that this church, our Reconciliation Road Church, will be known as that church that is welcoming people. That is welcoming people that are left out by the society, that are left out by other people, but in God's kingdom, they are welcome. Think of the last person, maybe, that you will ever expect to attend God's party. Think about what, whatever label maybe you have given them, they are also invited. So what you need to go, go and invite them. Don't be like this person who's holding the, right pe the, the red pen to keep writing people off. No, this is beyond repairs. No, God can't solve this. Oh, this one, no, is acceptable because of their condition, maybe because of their, um, the, the standard of living. But God is inviting all of us. Grace means there is no such thing as unworthy. Because grace is what we get, but we don't deserve. So when we come to, to God through his grace, we are all invited. So you are on God's list, no matter what you have done, no, no matter what you, 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 how many times you have failed and messed up in life, no matter what label someone has given you, but you are invited in God's body. I want you to get that message today. God's grace means you are invited to the party, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, no matter what you're coming from. Jesus died for your sins so that you could be forgiven. There is an invitation with your name on it.
The only access that Jesus is, is giving us is for him to die on the cross for you and for me. But I want to end with this, that it was on the Sabbath day and the people around Jesus, they wanted to condemn him because he was opening the door for the kingdom. That those who are sick and those who are full of sin, maybe who are sinful, they can be able to come and get an access on him. So he is giving us this thing of like, let's not put ourselves that in, on the seat of judging other people. But our job is to invite people and let people to be part of the kingdom. And then remember that we are what we are today because of what Jesus has done, not of what we have done because of his grace. I want you to stand up and join me as we're going to take the, partake in the communion.